I was speaking with a friend of mine here in Barbados who told me about a time a couple of men came into his yard past a closed fence and boldly started helping themselves to some of a tree's fruit. I can't remember now if it was mangoes or coconuts or whatever, but that's incidental. And when my friend came outside and confronted me, or confronted them about it, they waved a cutlass at him and said, everything belongs to Ja. That was true, sort of. And sort of not true. The way that the Bible speaks about possessions is that everything ultimately belongs to God. Psalm 24.1 says that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Which means that we belong to God. And even if we, if even we who dwell in the world belong to God, how much more do the things that we think we possess actually belong also to the Lord? Everything belongs ultimately to God. However, we are stewards of what God chooses to provide for us. Most of us are familiar with the parable of the talents. In this story, a man gives a certain amount of money to each of his servants and expects them to steward it on his behalf. He goes away on a journey and then comes back and he sees what each of them did with what he gave them to steward. Jesus is teaching that our lives are something like this. That we've been given our very lives. And as part and parcel of our lives, we have been given possessions then by implication, which are not ultimately ours, but are ours to steward. They are given to us to steward, and we will be held accountable for the manner in which we steward them. So there is, in one sense, ultimately, no such thing as private property. Everything belongs to the Lord. Yet there is, in a functional sense, private property. What is given to me to steward is given to me to steward, not to you to steward. And vice versa, what's given to you to steward is given to you to steward, not to me to steward. The Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, assumes the existence of private property in that sense. It would make no sense without it. So the men I told you about in the story at the beginning would be properly termed mango thieves or coconut thieves and not merely beneficiaries of Jah gratefully receiving his provision by means of a neighbor's tree. If private property is a real thing then, then love demands that we respect private property. If there is no such thing as private property, then anybody who's upset about one person taking what belongs to them just needs to get over it and get with the program. Nobody owns anything. What's mine is yours and what's yours is mine and you have no more say over what happens with your car than I do. But if there is such a thing as private property, then people are right to expect that you will respect it. That I will respect it. To deprive someone of their properties, to take something from them that God has given to them. It's akin to taking a Christmas gift from a child as he's playing with it. 
It's something that has been given to someone else, and yet you take it away. It's unjust and it's cruel. It's the opposite of the rule Jesus gave us, that we should do unto others as we would have them do unto us. We cannot love someone while depriving them of the good things that God has given to them. As we've talked about several times throughout this series on the Ten Commandments, the aim of the commandments is love. Because Jesus tells us that all of the commandments, these ten and every other commandment throughout all of Scripture can be summed up in these two things. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so this prohibition is telling us that it's unloving to fail to respect someone else's private property. This fact that love demands that we respect private property is closely related to the idea that God's providence demands that we respect private property. Philip Riken notes that stealing is sin against God in two ways. He notes, as we just discussed, that stealing robs what God has provided for someone else. So we are not just not loving a person when we steal something from them. We are not loving God when we steal from a person because we are not respecting how He has distributed to each according to His will. The second way in which Riken observes that stealing is a sin against God is that for the thief, it is a failure to trust in God's provision. Whenever we take something that doesn't belong to us, we deny that God has given us or is able to give us everything we truly need. Therefore, keeping the Eighth Commandment is a practical exercise of our faith in God's providence. And so to dishonor, pardon me, so to steal is to dishonor God as well as dishonoring the person from whom we steal. But someone might argue that theft from corporations or from the government is a victimless crime and therefore is not loving, is not unloving towards anyone in particular. And anyway, doesn't God care about the little guy? I mean, God is not on the side of governments and corporations against the little guy, is He? Well, Matthew chapter 22 and verse 21, Jesus teaches us that we ought to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. In Romans 13, the Holy Spirit is more explicit. He says, pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. God has commanded us not to thief from anyone. Whether private individuals, whether large corporations, or yes, even from the government. As Wilhelmus Abrakel, a Dutch theologian from the 18th century, points out, citizens are guilty of defrauding the nation when they deal fraudulently, smuggle, or are guilty of illicit dealings in reference to tariffs, excise fees, valuation charges, etc. To which I would add import duties, and more on this later. Well, that doesn't mean that God is on the side of governments against citizens. Abrakel also points out that government officials are guilty of defrauding the nation 
if they solicit contracts for work or ships and cause a certain party to receive the contract if there is a certain amount of money in it for them. So almost like Wilhelmus Abrakel, the 18th century theologian, was reading the nation newspaper. The proper functioning of a society demands, as well as God's law, demands that we respect private property with, in terms of the state. And that goes both ways. Citizens and the government ought to respect the private property of one another. An economy is slowed down by theft of various kinds. Philip Riken says, according to some estimates, as much as one-third of a product's cost goes to cover various forms of stealing that occur on the way to the marketplace. I don't know where those statistics exactly came from, but if that's true, that's an incredible statement. And you can imagine then the drag that that puts on the economy if companies are forced to compensate almost one-third of a product's price by the time that it ends up on the shelf because of dishonest dealings all the way through the manufacturing, distribution process, and so on and so forth. Now, I'm not an economist, and neither are most of us, but at a simple level, I think that we can all understand this. That as money is stolen by one party from another, the victimized party has less money and can't function then as efficiently as they otherwise could if they still had that money which had been stolen from them. So, as it applies to this issue then, when government and citizens steal from one another then, both suffer and the country suffers as a whole. When citizens steal from the government, the government can't function as efficiently as it ought to. And when the government steals from citizens, citizens can't function as efficiently as they ought to. And the country as a whole suffers. In this sense, that I'm not trying to really make a profound statement here, or even an intelligible economic statement. But in this sense, which I just described, our economic woes here in Barbados are largely due to sin. I can't unpack the nuts and bolts of that for you. I'm not skilled enough and capable enough to do that for you. But imagine if government was implementing fair, sensible policy for the last several decades and there was no corruption. And if all the citizens were dealing fairly with one another and with the government. Nobody was taking on unsustainable debt. Nobody was having shady dealings behind the scenes. Everybody was doing what they should in all these respects. You can understand that things wouldn't have gotten exactly to where we are now without some of these Eighth Commandment violations that I've described here. And things might not change overnight, but things would get better if we were to actually obey the Eighth Commandment moving forward. The only reason that I get into this is just, is just to mention this. That the Scripture speaks to all of life. And I'm not an economist, but some people are. And those who are ought to think in these sorts of terms within their areas of expertise as they think about even issues like how does a country move forward. 
So we understand at some level that Eighth Commandment violations are unloving, are a sin against God's providence, as well as a sin against His law explicitly. And not only does God's law demand, but the proper functioning of society demands that we respect private property. This goes both ways, both citizens and government. We still might be at a point where we think, okay, great. Well, now we know that there are people out there who steal. And that basically a lot of problems have been introduced into the world because of their sin. We still might not think that we ourselves actually are sinners in this respect. We don't actually steal. So let's look at some ways that we ourselves steal and break the Eighth Commandment. I want to go back to what I said a moment ago about quoting from a Brackle about how citizens are guilty of defrauding the nation when they deal fraudulently, smuggle, or are guilty of illicit dealings in reference to tariffs, excise fees, valuation charges, etc. To which I said I would add import duties and more on this later. Listen, we might not like how much it costs to bring things in, all right, but we have to pay that as Christians. It's not right to not. Obviously, if we declare things and... We are not, we don't have duty imposed upon us. We don't have to, oh, but I insist, right? And open our wallets anyway. But obviously, if we declare things and the government doesn't impose something on us, that's a different situation, right? But we need to, we need to, as Christians, recognize that within the framework within which we live, the import duties that the government would hypothetically have us pay actually belong to them and not to us. So when those bills remain in our wallet, we have someone else's bills in our wallet. Romans 13 and verse 7. Pay to all what is owed. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. And we might extend that and say import duties to those to whom import duties are owed. Now, as then it cuts both ways, right? Government officials wasting public money, accumulating irresponsible debt. These are when they're spending money in ways that the citizens have not elected them to spend money. They're not spending their money, they're spending our money which is theft the other way. And it's, it's to the democratic system to figure out when is it theft and when is it a certain economic system that we have democratically chosen for ourselves. Right? And so as we move forward, these are the things to figure out. But we have to understand that there is such a thing as the government thiefing from its citizens, even within our system. And there is such a thing as citizens thiefing from the government, even within this system. Let's talk about employees. A couple of ways that employees can steal. One is wasting time. This is a big one. In fact, I think, I think that all of us have been guilty at this at some point or another. 
if you're paid for eight hours work and you spend one hour on Facebook accumulated through the day, I hope you're staying an extra hour after your scheduled finish time. Because otherwise, you're getting paid for eight hours when you're working seven. You're, you're stealing, then, money from your employer which you did not work for. Or pilfering supplies. Right? Whether it's maybe a generation ago, it might have been making long distance phone calls at work. Uh, it could be now photocopying things or whatever, doing things at work that we're not supposed to be doing. Or, just a pen here and there or whatever, like whatever it could be. And we might think, well, these are small things. Yeah, they're small things in the grand scheme of things, but they're, they're small things that don't belong to you. So stealing a small thing is still stealing a thing. And again, as we talked about even in the introduction to this series, being thorough about obedience to God's law is not the same thing as legalism. So we don't say, yeah, yeah, stealing is bad, except when you steal little things. Or being unfaithful to your spouse is bad, unless you're only faithful in a little bit. Right? Or, or murder is bad, but if you're angry unjustly with someone in your heart, right? we recognize that the way the Bible talks about God's law, even the little things matter. And so the issue isn't, is it a big deal? Do other people do it? Etc., etc. The issue is, does God's law prohibit this? If you so badly need to have a pen for your home use, just go ask your boss. Go ask your supervisor. If you have permission, it's not stealing. Same as if you come to my house and ask me for something and I give it to you, it's not stealing. Employers. Expecting your employees to work for free for you. It's stealing. It's, it's, it's stealing their time. It's, it's stealing from their family. Time that they should be giving to their family. Time that is obligated to someone else. You're saying, give it to me. You're taking it from them without paying for it. And often the employer-employee dynamic, the authority dynamic that the, that's there makes it hard if not impossible for the employee to say no this is, this is unethical and it's against the way that the Bible would talk about these sorts of issues then as individuals some further ways that we can steal whether it be, there's a million ways but ways we might not think of something like an insurance fraud misrepresenting a situation to get a bigger payout or whatever intellectual property stealing intellectual property or plagiarism this is particularly applicable to uh, students or those who are writing academic papers or reports stealing digital content music movies that are not publicly licensed etc etc there's a number of ways. It's not just literally breaking into someone's house and grabbing something and running out. Stealing can happen in a number of different ways. And here's one. Withholding from God. We, at this church, we don't believe that you have to tithe in the sense that you have to give 10%. We think that that is part of the 
old covenant system that that's part of the law that God gave specifically to the Israelites under the covenant that they were under and yet there are things that God gave specifically to the Israelites in the covenant that they were under which also instruct us and so we find transferable principles in the old covenant that come across into the new covenant in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 we read a couple of things about giving under the new covenant if the readiness is there it is acceptable according to what you have not what you don't have here's another one each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion that doesn't sound like you must give 10% that sounds a lot different than you must give 10% in fact that sounds a lot different than the wolves in sheep's clothing that you see on TV trying to get you to sow a seed into their ministry that are trying to get you to be like the widow and, and, and give the last of what you have in your cupboard and that God will bless you for it it doesn't sound like that at all but the reality is that in the new covenant as well as in the old covenant God does require that we give to his work and in giving to his work we're giving to him and in the old covenant God set that basic benchmark at 10% now obviously there can be extenuating factors and circumstances which might make it hard in the new covenant for certain families or certain individuals to give 10% and I think this is where here we look at 2 Corinthians 8 and we see if the readiness is there it is acceptable according to what you have not what you don't have and so we don't need to feel false guilt for not being at 10% but I think at the same time we should think about the way that everything gets better actually in the new covenant and so you have a better temple a better priest a better sacrifice even the covenant itself is better this is what Hebrews 8 tells us because it's enacted on better promises and so if that's the logic that everything gets better in the new covenant but even in the old covenant you were to give 10% then that probably helps us when we come to think practically as new covenant Christians how much should we give if a tithe is not mandated if we follow that kind of logic that everything is superior as it comes to fruition and consummation in Christ Jesus but even in the old covenant we were to give 10% 10% can still probably be a helpful benchmark for us as we think just practically about how much we should give in the new covenant but whatever the exact amount withholding from God giving to God in every other way except our money and holding on to our money say you can have my time you can have my abilities and so on and so forth but my money is my money forgets that we're stewards and forgets that God has principles in his word about supporting his word so the command is broad and includes whole categories uh, includes a whole category rather so there are a whole bunch of ways that we can sin under this commandment thou shalt not steal and the opposite as we've seen with other commandments is implicitly commanded that it's not only you shall not do these things but you shall do the opposite you shall not have other gods but you shall worship the one true God you shall not commit adultery but you shall be faithful to your wife you shall not steal instead you should cultivate Abraco helps us here he says righteousness diligence moderation generosity contentment and obedience to the golden rule 
Obedience to the golden rule we've already touched on. You don't want people walking in your house and running off with your things. You don't want, you don't want people spending your money without your permission. Right? You, don't, you don't want other people withholding from you what is owed to you. And so we ought to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Righteousness as opposed to unrighteousness. As opposed to just being known as people who deal unrighteously. People who are shady and, and untrustworthy. That you can't enter into a good deal with. We ought not to be those kind of people. Rather we ought to be righteous people that are above board. We ought to be diligent. If a man does not work, he shall steal and eat. Is that what the Bible says? If a man does not work, he shall not eat. The problem when you're hungry, or the solution rather, when you're hungry, is not to steal, but to work. So diligence. We ought to cultivate diligence and not be known as a thief in people, but be known as a working people. Moderation. We ought not to be so excessive with ourselves that we are unable to give to others what is owed or what we could be generous with. For actually part of stewarding God's money is that we be generous. And so just as if somebody left you with their house and let's say access to their debit card and access to their credit card so watch my house while I'm gone. They're there for six months. They're gone for six months. And they tell you, buy what you need each month with my money. And you say, well, he said, buy what you need. So he comes back from his trip. And you have a brand new Ferrari in the driveway. And you've got steak and lobster in the fridge and so on and so forth. He would say, you, you've been immoderate with yourself and you've wasted my money. In that sense, you would have stolen from him. In that same way, when we're immoderate with ourselves, we're actually wasting God's money, squandering God's money, and not doing the things that He's commanded us to do, which includes giving money away and being generous and being thoughtful with others. And contentment. Obviously, we can see a pretty direct line from discontentment to shady financial dealings. If we cultivate on the opposite contentment, stealing doesn't even cross our mind. If you're content with what you have, you're not going to go try to steal. You're not going to want to steal something that you actually don't want. So if I was walking down the street with a friend of mine and, and somebody said, my friend says, look, look over there. There's, a, there's an old rusty hub of a wheel. I'm not going to just suddenly run over and grab it because I don't want that. And I haven't been thinking about how to get a rusty old hub of a wheel. And so when my heart is not craving this thing, the opportunity can present itself, but I'm still not going to go for it. So it is with other things as well. If our hearts are not craving these things, when the opportunity comes to get them illicitly, we're not going to take advantage of that illicit opportunity. And so, we need to cultivate contentment. Now, having looked at this command then in terms of what we should do, what we shouldn't do, 
we're all indicted as lawbreakers in this respect. We can all see how we haven't given to others what is owed. We haven't been good stewards in every case of what God has given to us. Perhaps we have at times actually been dishonest and actively stolen. This kind of active stealing where you actually do something actively that's wrong to get something that belongs to someone else. But then there's what we could call passive stealing, which is not doing the right thing with our money. So not paying someone something you owe might be passive stealing versus taking money out of someone's pocket would be active stealing. We can see that we've both done those things. We've all done both of those things, rather. We can also see that we haven't cultivated the virtues that I just described the way that we ought to. Righteousness, diligence, moderation, generosity, contentment, obedience to the golden rule. Who's going to be so bold as to stand up and say, blameless? So we're all indicted as lawbreakers with respect to the Eighth Commandment. It's a good thing there were three thieves on the crosses so long ago. Philip Riken says, It is well known that Christ was crucified between two thieves. But as far as God's justice was concerned, there were really three thieves on the crosses that day. Two who died for their own crimes and one who took our sins of theft upon himself. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that Christ died specifically for your specific sins? God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God imputed your sin to Christ Jesus upon the cross. He counted Christ as a thief in your place, thief. As Jesus hung there on the cross, He hung there dying not for His own sin, because He had none. The Scripture is quite clear about that. But dying for your sins of theft as your other sins, whatever they may be. And in that sense, as Riken says, there were three thieves on the crosses that day. Theft is unloving and therefore a breach of God's law. Not only is it bad for society, pragmatically harmful, it is a sin against God. Abraco goes so far as to say theft is an atheistic deed. It denies the providence of God. Our theft, our stealing, our withholding, what is old, our poor stewardship, this is all sin. Truly and properly sin. And Christ Jesus came to bear in Himself the penalty that you deserve for your theft. This is the Gospel. He came to live a life with no stealing, in obedience to the Eighth Commandment. Though he didn't deserve to die a thief's death, he died a thief's death on your behalf, on my behalf. This is the gospel, substitution. It's amazing. We were thieves before conversion, and we are thieves now. In some of the ways that I just described, 
and in this way, that we still don't give to God what we owe. When I survey the wondrous cross, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Is my life my own? Am I giving some kind of a gift to God if I give my soul, my life, my all? Or am I giving Him what is owed? That which He purchased. That which He made His own possession. You see that when I withhold myself of stealing from God, we are indicted as thieves before conversion and after conversion. In some of the ways I mentioned, already and in that way we are indicted as thieves but thank God for the wondrous cross through which God has loved us through which he has reconciled us thieves to himself through which he has made us his own and through which he continues to love us in spite of our sin